0: Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. Host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham, talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so excited for multiple reasons. This is the first time we're live streaming this series on LinkedIn. I want my three panelists to wave hello to LinkedIn. LinkedIn live there you all are we'll introduce them in just a minute i'm bonnie d graham producer and host of game changers radio and we are excited for a second reason this is the launch of season 11 this series and we have birgit starman's with us she's one of the longtime sponsors of the series season 11 11 years they've been with me bringing great information about financial excellence to our audiences all over the world. So we're thrilled to be here on LinkedIn today. Everybody wave hello again one more time. This is such a celebration. So happy to be doing this. So let me give an introduction to our topic today. I think you'll all find it interesting and I may be introducing a term, some terminology you're not that familiar with. So Michael E. Porter, a professor at Harvard Business School, introduced the concept of value chain. Now we all know supply chain. We talk about it at home, we talk about it at cocktail parties, if you're still going to them. Zoom parties, we talk about it everywhere. Supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. Top of mind, it's become common vocabulary. But value chain may not be something you're familiar with. So he introduced it in his book, Competitive Advantage, Creating and Sustaining Superior Performance, book from 2008. Let me read a brief quote, and then we'll get going with our topic. He said, competitive advantage cannot be understood by looking at a firm as a whole. It stems from the many discrete activities a firm performs in designing, producing, marketing, delivering, and supporting its product. And it's important to maximize value at each specific point in the processes. My my guests are nodding, so I think they agree. So let me tell you a little more about what we're talking about today. Finance organizations have increasingly evolved from, oh no, backward-looking reporting. You all remember Spreadsheet Land and a CPA sitting in the basement with the green lamp and the eye shade, yes. From that to analyzing information in real time, what a concept, both from a financial accounting standpoint and a management accounting standpoint. Taking a step further, finance is now actively engaging in advising other parts of the business based on predictive modeling. That's looking forward. Logical processes from procurement, supply chain, there's that word, sales and customer experience, even HR, human resources, some of you may know it as human capital management, are all reflected in finance, providing a holistic view of an organization. And we're talking to you, our business listeners and viewers around the world, your organization. Finance now has the opportunity to leverage this information to evaluate the financial impact of strategic decisions. That's where we are today. And advise their counterparts and all the other business units and all lines of business across the organization. I want my three guests to please raise your hand and wave when I call your name. We have SAP's Birgit Starman. She's with us today. We have Accenture's Rob. Rob J. Campanile. He's really Robert, but he said I can call him Rob and you'll find out why. And we're welcoming back Ventana Research's Robert Kugel. I usually call him Rob, but we decided we'd have one Rob and one Robert today, so I don't get confused. And our topic is finance and its focus on integration into the value chain. So welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. So very, very happy to kick off your 11th year season, Birgit, and a shout out to your colleague Pras Chatterjee at SAP, who is co-sponsoring this year with you. former colleague, Chris Grundy, who helped bring this along for 10 years. So let's get the party started. Birgit, I'd like you to please take about three minutes. Introduce yourself. Birgit, I'm guessing after all these years, there may be 12 people in the world who don't know who you are, I, or they don't remember. I just shame on them. So once you reintroduce yourself, what are you up to now? And talk to us just very briefly about why you're so happy
2: to renew this season, this series. Birgit, welcome. Thank you so much, Bonnie. And you know, we love being on the show. So thank you so much for allowing us to renew for the 11th year. So super excited. And My name is Birgit Starmans, I'm with SAP, and in about another month, I'll be with SAP for 23 years, OMG. And before that, I did nine years of consulting. So I'm a member of the Global Center of Excellence for Finance and Risk. And my focus is on thought leadership. And of course the show is specific to thought leadership because we really wanna talk about the trends that are out there in the marketplace and looking at the future and maybe tying a few concepts together that maybe are not mainstream. So it's really exciting to have guests here that continue to wow us with their insights. and. Yeah. with In terms of thought leadership, I also do a lot of presentations, a lot of writing, a lot of essays and white papers. So happy to be back and happy to kick off this 11th season. Thank you, Birgit. Quick question for you. Did you like
1: the introduction I did about the meaning of value chain? Did you agree with
2: the author, Michael Eugene Porter? Yes? No? Quick uh- Absolutely. And as part of my MBA program, we read um, all of his books. So the whole competitive advantage. And it was interesting because the idea of value chain came from a survey that we recently did. And there are a lot of people that wrote in that they want finance to be a part of the entire value chain. And I just thought it really meshed really well. And I recently went through a bunch of old books and I found my Michael Porter books. Isn't that interesting? And
1: Birgit, I was telling Robert and Rob before you joined us before the show today that I wanted to level set on the topic because we're throwing out the term value chain. And as you all know, we talk supply, 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 supply chain, but I hadn't heard the term value chain because I'm not in your wheelhouse, if you will. So I just Googled value chain Meaning of quotes about, and Michael Porter popped up. I didn't know that you had studied his books. I didn't know how popular he was. And so there he is. So thank you, Google, for bringing that up at the top of my 1 million search results. Well, there actually weren't that many. So thank you. Let's go to our second panelist, and he is new to the show. We are honored to welcome Robert. He's Rob today, Robert J. Campanile at Accenture. Rob, I'm putting you on full screen speaker view on LinkedIn. Tell us. Who you are what you do and briefly what's your passion for our topic today thought leadership about value chain rob welcome hi thanks so much
3: bonnie so rob campanile i'm a managing director and part of our accenture strategy practice and this is my life's work 24 years of doing value work business transformation um, not only across finance, but every discipline imaginable, in over a dozen industries, and the the intro and and the discussion is going to be fantastic today. So I'm really excited to be part of this. I'm really excited. I got the invitation, and you know what we're going to talk about is some very interesting topics. But when when I think of the value chain, I think of it as an evolution of value and how the finance organization and the CFO and the VPs of finance and all the different professionals in an organization are looking at value differently. And this is something I do every day. So really excited to uh, to talk about this today.
1: Thank you very much. Did you like Michael Porter's definition about looking at all of those parts of what's going on in processes and no leave no stone unturned, leave no corner unlooked at, Rob?
3: Absolutely, yeah. It's something that reflected my work every day.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. We're so glad you're here with us. And now let's go to our third panel. There's no real order. You're all equal. You're all top of mind. You're all number one to me. Robert Kugel, welcome back. Ventana Research. I don't know how many shows I lost count of how many times over the years you've been with us. So Rob, welcome back. Robert, Robert, I have to stop calling you Robert because Rob, because we decide the other Robert's going to be Rob. So this, I got to put that in my head. Robert Kugel, in case. I'm guessing you're almost tied with Birgit, about 12 people not remembering you. Let's go to 14 because we, we she's a sponsor, so we want to bring her up there. So talk to those people around the world. What's new with you? What's new with Ventana? And what's your thought about our topic? Rob well, in case you
4: know, people weren't familiar with uh, Ventana Research, we started the firm uh, now almost 20 years ago with the objective of using, you know, enabling companies to use technology more effectively. Uh, to achieve better performance. So the notion of the value chain is is really pretty integral uh, to to my practice as as head of uh, uh, Office of Finance and Business Research here. Um, And and it's something that uh, we focused on very much from the start, because uh, we saw in in the uh, advisory area um, kind of a limited amount of, of research being done, real research being done in how companies actually use technology. And, and, and how it has uh, a, a, a real positive impact on performance. So we didn't see that and um, we thought, well, we should probably start a, a company that does that and does it with the idea of focusing first on business issues and second on the, how do you fit the IT thing in with, with, to, to, to get that better performance. So that's, that's what we've been dedicated to. That's what my practice has been devoted to. Uh, for the past couple of decades
1: and robert what do you think about the definition of value chain you on board with that
4: yeah and i you know i i think what we do a lot now is we focus on the uh, uh, extension of that value chain or, or focus of the value chain to, to be more outside in thinking so it's important you know both to look at what's happening in detail throughout your organization But it's also equally important to see how that interacts with the rest of the world. And I think when we start to talk about planning and forecasting, uh, and especially the utilization of of predictive analytics, uh, you got to have some external data in that whole mix, uh, or else you're just doing kind of a a weird extrapolation of a lot of complex dump, you know, know, business models that really isn't going to get you any better. So we like to focus in on the outside and the whole interaction inside in order to get better results.
1: Thank you, Robert. The last thing we want are weird extrapolations. I haven't heard, is that, a, can we coin that as a business phrase well, from you well, and Venton?
4: So, so endogeneity <laughs> is, is the you know, word in statistics. It's, it's the, the thing that people don't pay attention to. And when you start to hear results of, of surveys and things like that, and, you know, go, wow, that sounds really plausible. Yeah, okay. But it's like saying that there's a correlation between drinking milk and uh, the rates at which people drink milk and the rate of suicide in a country. I mean, it's just, you can take any two. So there are other explanatory variables. There are other <laughs> things that, that you need to be, it's, they're missing variables in there. That's you know, the, the,
1: the, Thank the, you. The, the I the learned theory something. Theory. I'll swap you term for term. Robert, would you put that word into the chat so I can see how it's spelled? I want to look it up. Interesting. I used that a, a, a series last year. Uh, I, I think this quoted from a movie. uh Statistics don't lie, people do. So let's just leave that. It's it's <laughs> it's in the interpretation, right? It's what you do with the numbers. So we'll leave it. The endogeneity. E n d o g e n e i t y. Well, that was very phonetically appropriate. Thank you very much, Rob Kugel. Robert Kugel. I'm going to get so totally confused today. I'll just use your last names, Mister. Okay, let's go to the part of the show where I've asked my guests to send me a quote from a fictional character in a movie or a TV or a song lyric that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic. And in their own words, and Birgit, this is a stretch for yours, I think. In their own words, they're going to tell us what the quote makes them think about our topic. So let's hear. Birgit has sent me a quote from the character played by Emma Stone. It's Cruella. 2000, a 2021 American crime comedy film. Cruella is the title of the movie, based on the character, of course, Cruella de Vil, V-I-L, they forgot the L-E because it's not French, from Dodie Smith's 1956 novel, The 101 Dalmatians. There we go. So, here's the quote Birgit has selected. I'd like to remind you all that I'm doing this in heels. Oh my, reminds me of a Fred Astaire and Ginger, Ginger Rogers quote, remember, Birgit? She did everything he did, but backwards and in heels. Okay, I'm dating myself.
2: Very Tell us what this has to do with value chain. Go ahead. Well, as a ballroom dancer, I love that quote. But it makes me think about trying to be effortless in terms of what we do. And I would say in the past, finance showed that it took a lot of effort. It took a lot of, well, let me run those numbers and get back to you, oh, in a day, in a week, whatever it is. And I would say with real-time information now, finance is making it look more effortless because they have the information that they need in order to answer the questions that other lines of business might have. And the other thing I was thinking about to tie it back to your competitive advantage and value chain is that for the vast majority of companies, doing their books and financials is not their competitive advantage. They are there to sell something, to provide a service, but they're not there to just do the books. That's not really their main focus. And back in my consulting days, implementing financials, um, SAP financials, a lot of times uh, people on the manufacturing side would get mad at me because I said, well, it's important for things to get out the door. Let's not make it difficult for the people doing product costing on the manufacturing floor. If finance has to jump through a couple of extra hoops to get the numbers, great. But the nice thing is now with real-time access to information and all these great new technologies with AI and predictive, finance can now make it look easy, as easy as dancing backwards in high heels. Uh Very, very well done. Yes.
1: Yes. And reminds me of my ballroom dancing days and especially the foxtrot when you had to go backwards and and trust. Yes, trust, you know. Okay. We'll leave that one alone. Thank you very much, Birgit. Wonderful quote. I appreciate that. Rob Campanile at Accenture has sent us a quote from a league of their own. Rob, this quote, movie is getting popular again and the the quotes coming on my shows i don't know quite why i think we froze there for a second you're the, you're the second one this week to send me a quote from that movie which is interesting so Jimmy Dugan, played by the inimitable Tom Hanks yelling at Evelyn Gardner played by Biddy Schram and I think she was in a a, a long-running TV show as um, monk she was in monk I think she was his his secretary or admin or whatever in monk uh, a League of the Own, 1992 American sports comedy drama film and the quote of course five little words that pack a punch or hit the ball there's no crying in baseball. Rob, tell me what this has to do with our topic. I can't wait to hear this one. Rob Campanile, you're up.
3: Thanks so much. So I have a son that plays you know, uh, Travel Ball, and um, we recently watched that movie, and it just reminded me of a great movie and great quote it was. Um, When I think of that quote, I think of the resilience that finance organizations have to have. And though a lot of the stuff coming out now is very common sense, and it's very made easy, and it's digestible and it makes sense it's still a lot of work to change workforces so when finance organizations have to go through a large amount of change especially with the automation of transactional work and the work that's leaving and what pressure that's going to put on the workforce to reinvent itself and then you know, revitalize skills around uh, analytics, planning, and forecasting that Robert mentioned. This is really going to be um, something that's, you know, it takes time and, and and changes in management is involved. So that quote really tells me you got to be resilient when things are new and you got to push ahead and, and really, you know, pursue the journey. So
1: thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you. No complaints. Just stop crying and play ball, right? Just keep keep it going. And isn't that the role now of the office of finance of the CFO's team to keep it going? Isn't that what we're all here to talk about is whatever's happening in the business. We used to say good, a couple of years ago the CFO and the finance team need to be the stewards of the business, get out of the basement, get out of the eye shades, get out of the spreadsheet. I think that's a dirty word now. And go do something with the business and now we're saying it's even more integrate into the value chain. It's a bigger role. Sounds like an exciting career actually and we'll talk about that. That maybe later, Robert Kugel. Your quote interesting. Haven't had this one on the show. The movie is Glen Gary. Glen Ross, nineteen ninety two American drama film. The character is Blake, played by. Alec Baldwin. I'll say that quietly. And Blake has no last name in the movie. I researched that. There is no last name to the character. And it's about two days in the lives of four real estate salesmen. The original movie had Jack Lemmon. And how desperate they become when the corporate office sends a macho, verbally abusive sales trainer, trainer in quotes, to quote unquote, motivate them by warning that in one week, all except the top two will be Fired, and here's the quote. I watched the movie clip. <laughs> very interesting. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. Robert Kugel, take us through this. What does this have to do with our topic today? Go ahead.
4: Well, it's, it actually, it's very similar to, to, to Rob's uh, observation because it has to do with with management philosophy uh, and how you motivate people. Um, you know, the, uh, Alec Baldwin, or I should say Blake. Is a perfect example of how you run a bucket shop, but if you want to run a real business and keep people around, I don't think that's really the way you want to, you know, motivate people and, and get them to change. So really, to, you know, to, to Rob's point, you know, we're we facing um, a, a very important decade in the evolution of of the finance function, one where we're going to have. Uh, the introduction and adoption of technology at a much faster rate than we've seen in the past 50 years. Uh, All of these technologies, uh, I hate to say it, are just finally delivering on the promise that everybody's heard for the last 50 years. Uh, And while we've had incremental improvements and, you know, just a whole long list of stuff that, you know, is better, it hasn't really fundamentally changed how the department can work. And it's, it's, it's absorbing that technology and rethinking how you're going to do the business it, and do the, uh, the finance organization. That's important. And it requires leadership, management, uh, somebody with a vision, but also somebody who knows how to motivate people to change. Because let's face it, accountants are trained to do the same thing over and over and over and over, and over again, exactly <laughs> the same way. Changing that, not going to be easy. So uh, it does require leadership and it requires the right leadership. Heavy-handed, tops down, no, don't think that's going to work, especially these days.
1: Thank you very much. I, I was intrigued by the quote, Robert, and I looked at it and I said to you, I think I chatted this back to you on when you sent me the information, that if you take that first letter off of the quote, it says, coffees for... a lo- Losers, losers instead of closers. Yes, coffee's for losers only, and I thought that's interesting because in modern real estate, nobody hate me for this. We talk about the chair warmers. Remember the coffee warmers, that people who just come in and sit down, have a cup of coffee, and don't do anything. So I thought in modern terms it could go both ways. But who am I to say that? Let's move let me, on. Let me also yeah. let me yeah, also add that that
4: that that another you know thing uh, for in sales is always be closing. Well, my advice—you uh, know—we we pioneered the use of the term continuous accounting, and um, and and by that, you know, I'm telling the controllers always be closing.
1: There you, you can. go. <laughs> there. That's right. Real time, you always can. That's right. It's no longer, well, we're coming to period end, quarter end, year end, and another six months, and that's your target. It's let's talk about right now, right? Real time, important. Thank you very much all. I appreciate the research you did into the quotes. I love the movie quotes because I get to revisit some movies I don't remember, or I haven't seen in a while, or movies I've never heard of. So there you go. Now you're all, I'll, I'll put new movies on my movie watch list, my binge list for next weekend. Now is the part of the show where we're going to go to our discussion statements are round table. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to pick a statement from each of you, Birgit. I've already teed up your statement number two in the chat. I'll read a little bit because it's long, which is great. And I'll ask Birgit to spend about three minutes. We're going to do what they do on the news. Please unpack this or take a look, take a listen. I love when they say that. Take a listen. How am I going to take a listen? Unpack it, Birgit. And then the magic sauce happens. (laughs) Robert is enjoying this. Uh, Magic sauce is then I'm going to ask Mr. Campanile, to sit on the edge of his chair and wait because he's going to pounce on what Birgit said. And I'm gonna ask you to agree or disagree and don't be afraid to disagree with Birgit in a nice tone of voice. Then Robert Kugel, I'm gonna ask you to agree or disagree with both of them. So, okay, let's get ready. Here's what Birgit said in statement number two. Many financial processes have an impact on externally facing interactions for organizations. For example, billing and AR accounts receivable processes are the basis for many customer interactions, including management of subscription, sales of service, which build customer loyalty. I'm going to stop
2: there and let you complete the thought. Birgit, all yours. We like to think of finance as just being back office and something that happens at the end of a period, even though we can at any point in time, I, I agree with um. Robert Kugel, that we can close at any point in time. And especially with real-time information, see exactly where the company is. But realistically, I mean, that actually is externally communicated to shareholders, investors, um, also the rest of the organization and uh, employees. So, there's that communication. But if you think about as a customer, when you have an issue with something, you have a return. It wasn't processed correctly. Um, You want to cancel a subscription. You were overbilled. One of my favorite examples or unfavorite examples Back in '96, I went to a business trip in Germany. I thought I was on a particular program, and literally, where I thought I was getting 25 cents a minute to call from Europe back to the U.S., I was being paid charged multiple dollars. Um, let's just say, when that company calls, I hang up because <laughs> even though that was 1996, that's what I remember, and that was the interaction with the billing department. So essentially, right now, with with the subscription based economy, where Spending more time, not just buying a product or buying a service, but we're subscribing to something continuously. So we actually see that there is an issue. If there's an issue in the billing, then who do we talk to? We end up talking to somebody in finance, somebody in the billing department somebody responsible for receivables in a shared services organization. So it definitely has a lot of impact for externally facing processes, which is part of the value chain again. And the same is true when it comes to vendors. If you're a large corporation and you need to pay your vendors, um, you need to make sure that you're on time, that you're taking the appropriate discounts only when you're supposed to be, because otherwise that's gonna impact the relationships that you have with your vendors. And if you're manufacturing companies, That might impact the way that you get your raw materials in order for you to produce something to get it out the door. So finance, especially the financial aspect, and especially when it comes to the subscription economy, we're seeing that finance actually has a lot of impact on customer loyalty because of the way that they handle or mishandle certain situations that come up.
1: Very interesting. I didn't expect that. Thank you, Birgit. Okay, Rob J. Campanile at Accenture. (laughs) Pounce, agree or disagree? Go ahead. Um,
3: Wholeheartedly agree. And I would would add a couple of points that Brigitte brought up um, that I'd like to continue. Um, The customer experience, and a lot of companies spend a lot of time doing kind of the outside looking into the organization, right, and how they craft a customer experience. And too often than not, finance is kind of sometimes on the, on the borders of that experience work. So it's really important to have great, predictable, sustainable finance processes, but also there has to be a flexibility of the inside also looking out to the customer. So the example that was provided is a pure example of when there's flexibility in processes and there's the customer, or whether it's an internal business customer or an external customer in mind, um, there needs to be something that maintains that relationship, not just the cost or the call time of the call or you know the timeline of the dispute, et cetera. Uh, the customer experience has to be extended by finance. And, and this is something that if it's done right, that customer has a predictable experience as well as when they work with other industries and other services they expect that customer experience so if you're behind in this this is something that really needs to be looked at because more often than not new consumers now are expecting things to be very smooth very predictable and they like their needs known so i couldn't agree more
1: thank you very much we have an agreement there mr kugel what do you think wholehearted
4: agreement and let me take it back to sort of what's the root cause of of burgett's you know scenario there and and in a lot of cases it's data so one of the issues that comes up when you're billing somebody is that you've got multiple systems that are upstream of the accounting where the data has to be fed into the accounting system and in the old days in fact still today a lot of companies dump stuff out into a spreadsheet, do a little something with it, upload it. There's latency, there are errors, there are all kinds of things that make it necessary either to accept errors in billing because the volumes are just too enormous, um, or else you have the staff spending you know a big chunk of time at the end of the period doing checks and reconciliations to make sure that the billing is in fact accurate. Now, we have technologies today, APIs, robotic process automation that enables you to take the people out of that process in order to achieve what, you know, one of the tenets of continuous accounting is being able to maintain data integrity continuously end to end in a process. So in this case, you take information out of your various systems including the sale of a, uh, some sort of a service. And so all the terms of that contract are collected and that get passed all the way directly to the bill. So that when you bill somebody, you're confident that any change that's taken place even during the month, even up to the minute in that deal with the, with the customer is reflected in the billing at that time. It's really poss- easy to do that these days And and so what that does then is it ensures that billing is pretty much not gonna be prone to errors or require a lot of staff time. And that staff time is what you can use to be more outward facing to the rest of the organization to achieve that vision of being part of the value chain.
1: Thank you, very interesting. Birgit, any comments? Back to your two wholeheartedly agreeing co-panelists.
2: I wholeheartedly agree with both of them. Just two things I'd like to add, especially when it comes to Uh, putting all that information together. I mean, it's very true that companies always move things from point A to point B, which is not necessarily needed anymore, but there's always some logic that was inserted in there, either as part of the programming or as part of the spreadsheet world. So that introduced errors. Um, The other thing that we're seeing now is convergent billing, so that if I buy a product as well as a subscription or a service, I get that in one bill. I don't have to deal with multiple bills, which I think is helpful. And let's not forget about how companies handle returns, because we keep measuring customers by how much revenue we get from customers. Well, what about the cost of expediting things? What about the cost in in customers returning things? So that 360-degree view that we used to hear about a lot, let's not forget about that, because that involves the financial organization as well. Thank you. Two stories come to mind really fast. And then, Rob Campanile,
1: I've, I've got your statement number two teed up in a second here. Number one, good I never forget my shock and amazement when I had to fax. Anybody remember what a fax is, where you put a piece of paper in a machine and it goes through and makes a little noise sometimes, and then somebody sees the paper coming out of the machine on their end? I, I know, I know. Now you can e-fax. I faxed something to Canada. This must have been in the early nineties, perhaps. And it was a business piece of paper. I don't remember why or who or what, what purpose. The bill on my phone bill was $32. It was a two and a half minute fax shock and amazement. It's like, what did I just do? That was the cost they billed me at 12 dollars 5 a minute for that fax. It was a couple of pages. So I remember very well. The second comment, I can't even remember. I'll bring it up later. Okay, let's go. Oh, yes, the partnership between Amazon and Kohl's talking about returns. Are you all aware of that mm-hmm. partnership? You know, if you, if you have something, you buy on Amazon and you want to return it, don't <laughs> pack it up. Don't get, You don't even need the original box go to Kohl's, go to where the orange arrow is, return it, have your QR code or whatever it is on your phone, your return code from the Amazon return. They scan it, they take it, they pack it, and then they give you a certificate to shop in Kohl's immediately or in the next 10 days. Sometimes it's $5 instant cash to buy in the store. What a partnership. And I don't know how they financially figure that one out, but Kohl's, brick and mortar on-site store has made a partnership so that your digital experience goes to that. And interesting how the accounting might work on that, but I'll leave that one alone. Thank you, Birgit, for the memories and for jogging that in me. Let's move on. Rob Campanile has sent us the following statement. Number two, this is very interesting. You say, FinTech knowledge and proficiency are not just for IT finance professionals anymore. Finance professional careers, skills, and technical skill development are transforming the career path for the future and reshaping the hiring, retention, and skills advancement of finance professionals. Rob, would you please expand this for us? Very interesting.
3: Yeah. Um, and, and this is a very passionate area of my work, so I'm going to try not to talk too long here. <laughs> um, I'm giving you
1: three minutes, Cade. Go ahead. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Thank you. Um, but in a nutshell, um, the folks hiring into finance professional, whether it's entry or even experienced positions now, there's new table stakes for skills. And over the past decade, a lot of the transactional and meaty manual work is simply just going away. Um, And as you look into the future, a lot of the planning and analyzing and advising skill sets are going to be higher in demand. Along with those skill set demands, there's the usage and proficiency of certain technologies, whether it's core ERP or the ERP ecosystem of applications. So the use of statistics, being able to understand trends, looking backwards. I love the Amazon coal example because someone had to do analysis on the payback associated with that that scenario right and and looking at how that's going to be performing in the future so these are new skill sets that think outside the box and i i love it because i i kind of hate them i'm towards the more tail end of my career i would love to be starting now uh because the skills uh, development is going to be so much different than than when i experienced it so that's a little bit about that topic and i'd love to hear what the others think
1: we're gonna do that thank you very much very interesting Robert Kugel, you're right now sitting next to Mr. Campanile, so you're up. Agree or disagree, go for it.
4: Yeah, I, I, I agree that uh, tech, technology proficiency is an absolutely essential part of, of hiring people into finance organization. Uh, we did, we've did, we done numerous uh, bits of research where uh, we, we look at this uh, function called finance IT. In other words, uh, people kind of like me who... You know, I, I, I read accounting bulletins, but I also understand the technology there. So it's, or I'm deep into the technology. So people who are ambidextrous, if you will, and in, in, in able to function in both worlds and see the connection between, you know, here's the IT and well, this is what you can now do with it. Who have an imagination about it. Those organizations, as it turned out, um, perform better all across the board in everything that a finance organization is expected to do by a significant margin. So I think if you're running a finance organization, you really wanna make sure that somebody is understands the technology because you don't have to have an entire department of those people. You need to have a core of those people who understand the technology, who are given the role of guiding the organization in how it uses technology, take them seriously, spend a lot of time you know, focusing on what's next, what's available, how do we use the technology to our advantage?
2: Thank you very much. Let's go to Birgit, what do you think? Somehow this conversation is sparking, sparking one of my favorite topics of change management mm-hmm. because that way, as, as we move into these new technologies, there's going to be a certain resistance to change until you get to the what's-in-it-for-me conversation, and whether it's better work-life balance or being more accurate or being more strategic and actually having a better quality of work. I'm also seeing that there is a new generation of finance professional that's coming on the market, where I think in the past, we do all these things on our personal smartphones, etc. And then we go to work, and then we do spreadsheets, and then we do things offline. And I'm seeing more of a merging of that as well. And part of that's going to require some change management because just because you can do it on an app doesn't mean it's not secure. It doesn't mean it's not protected. It doesn't mean that everybody can see it. It doesn't mean that nobody can see it. But I think there's some changing attitudes in terms of the technology also to allow the acceptance of some of the newer technologies, especially in the finance organization. Thank you, Birgit. Rob Campanil, interesting spark
1: for the conversation. Anything you want to say back to them? your co-panel?
3: Thank you for the the additions.
1: Um, Awesome points. Good. Awesome panel. Robert Kugel, I'm looking at your statement number two. I put it in the chat list, looks interesting. Let's go with this. Data, 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 data is often overlooked as a necessary component, enabling finance departments to play a more strategic role in their company. Technology is finally maturing, aha, to provide FP&A groups access to a more complete set of accurate, consistent, and reliable set of financial and operational data. Robert Kugel, talk us through this, please
4: already well, I already, you know, talked about data in terms of continuous accounting and things like that. Um, and and one of my, you know, favorite statements is that bad data is the root of all evil in a finance organization. So um, what what I'm referring to is that you know there's there's a lot that you know we're we're looking at at how we can use technology. Uh, to make uh, finance much more effective, much more of a partner with the rest of the organization. We start talking about things like, you know, the use of artificial intelligence and, you know, all sorts of really nice things. Well, the reality is that you need to have data to make good data and the right amount, the right scope of that data to make it all work well. You want to do predictive analytics? You got to have good data to do predictive analytics. You want to do AI? You need David, to do this a couple of years ago, looking at and I don't want to get too geeky here. Um, get at, geeky, it's okay. Well, so you know, there's there's you know data mesh and you know all kinds of concepts of of how you are able to manage large amounts of data within within an enterprise uh, to in, improve its availability. Um, and so, a couple of years ago, I started talking about uh, uh, what amounts to having a dedicated data store for a specific application and maybe even down to a role, but but certainly a specific application. And I call that initially a data aggregation device, a dad to solve the mother of all data problems. You know, it's trying to be cute. You know. and, and then I, you know, well, I said, well, why don't we call it a data pantry? It's, it's a data pantry because it's not a warehouse where you have a ginormous amount of stuff stacked up to the ceiling. It's everything that you need to make dinner, readily at hand. Everything is in a place where you know it is. And here's the important part. It's got labels on it that you recognize and instantly understand. Because one of the problems with a financial data warehouse is it's not necessarily all that user-friendly. So the point of a data pantry is that within some application, let's say a planning application, I've now pulled in data, accurate, consistent data into a single place, easily accessible by everybody using it, but it's pulling it from multiple systems. Now, whether it's actually stored there or whether it's federated, I mean, don't wanna get into the the, the details of how you orchestrate all of that, but anytime I wanna, you know, I'm, I'm now somebody who's planning in let's say, you know, uh, the, the R&D function or in the marketing. But I'm, I'm, I'm putting together a plan. I need to be able to pull together data that enables me to plan my part of the business. Well, it should all be within that planning platform. And the data that goes along with the models that are there in that platform enable me now to do a much better job of forecasting in part, perhaps because I now am pulling in external data. GDP data, industry data, all kinds of things, and maybe even competitors pricing, which I'm pulling, you know, scraping off of the internet. All of that's available to me when I'm doing my planning in order to do a much more accurate job. So I, I could go on for a long time, but I'll, I'll just leave it at that. You need to have you know uh, uh, one of the innovations that we're seeing, and there are vendors that are already doing this. They, they've got a dedicated data store, a data pantry, it's part
1: of their offer. I love Data Pantry. I put it in the notes to bear get it. We, we got to talk about this. The dad was good. The mom was good. But the Data Pantry, I'm thinking of old old Mother Hubbard had a cupboard, something like that. I'm sorry. Nursery rhymes pop up once in a while in my head with all of the data. Interesting. And, and you just hope that your pantry is never bare, right? That the cupboard is never bare. The shelves are en- empty if you're going to take it. But what an interesting, con- I'm going to use a, a big word, consumerization of a, of a finance, of an industry concept, Rob, Robert, that uh, is something we can relate to you have a pantry it's a closet it's a shelf it's a cabinet with stuff in it that you need that are staples that you need to use I like it when when I send you the uh, from the zoom I send you your audio file Robert Kugel go to about 38 minutes in and you'll find that part of the conversation and you can take clips and post it I'd love for you to do that let's go around the table provocative conversation here Birgit Starman's comments on what Mr. Kugel shared go ahead
2: I'd like to, I completely agree. And I love the analogy as well. I think I get a lot of really good quotes from him, actually. I think he also came up with the, it's the end of I'll get back to you a couple of years ago on this show.
4: <laughs> and let's not forget my all-time favorite, let's put the A back in FP&A.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <go>. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping a running tally here, actually. Uh, but I think I want to build a little bit on the whole idea of having everything in one place. Um, There's that also means that we have to have the same definition of data. And I'm going to expand as part of the value chain here, but let's talk about the human capital management, right? If somebody says, how many employees do we have? Is it full-time? Is it part-time? Is it exempt? Is it non-exempt? Is it contractors? Is it… Um, subcontractors, is it people who have retired that we're still paying um, pension to? And the same thing with finance. When we talk about who's our most profitable customer, I mentioned earlier the 360-degree view. Is it the revenue? Is it the discounts that we're giving them? Is it the expedited costs? Is it the customization cost? Is it the return of these customized products that we can't reuse at all? So what constitutes a definition of profitable in this case? So I think having everything in one place really gives us a common understanding of what we mean by certain data elements in certain terms. Thank you. Interesting. Mr. Campanile, you're up. Talk to us.
1: I uh,
3: agree with all the points, and I'd like to add a few others. Uh, when I think of the data and the single um, kind of, you know, version of the truth, I love the point that Robert made is, it doesn't have to all be in one place. And I think As cloud technologies and other technologies come on play, the accessibility and the consistency of the data as well as the quality of the data is going to be very important, especially with the um, the automation of a lot of our work and the kind of the transaction to reporting context of finance, um, that data hierarchy and that data quality and that master data set is going to be very important. In addition, um, I think the points made about unstructured ex you know external finance data coming in and being part of that analysis is is so huge. It can't be kind of you know um, it should never be kind of just swept under the rug. I think a lot of finance organizations have always viewed their data as the transactions in finance, and I think the shift over the last five years is no, the company's data is quote unquote financial data, right? And it could be anything, and I. I love Brigitte's um, uh, viewpoint on the data coming in and out and all the different points. Um, but I think cloud is a very big part of the data um, solutions coming on the table. I think how ERPs and the ecosystem is going to utilize data better, and I think also the skill sets we've talked about earlier that finance are actually going to become data, you know, quality analysts and, and data professionals. So uh, great points and uh, love all the topics.
1: Thank you very much, Robert Kugel. This was yours. Any comments back to your co-panelists?
3: We we could go on for
4: hours. I'm, I'm sure all of us. You know, I mean, there's just so many levels and layers <clears> to data issues that that need to be explored. But let me just underscore that uh, the point that uh, Rob just made, which is, if you just look at a uh, pretty straightforward advance that we've had over the past decade, decade and a half of of real solid adoption of the cloud, that just changes everything in terms of data accessibility. Having SaaS applications running in the cloud and managed by a vendor, the vendor can actually provide a lot of external or other third-party data services. And you know, that I think is something that uh, uh, most of them will figure out they can make some, you know, either build stickiness or actually make some money selling that, that kind of data because mm-hmm. it's natural for that kind of service.
1: Thank you very much. Good conversation points. We have time for one more, Birgit. I'm teeing up statement number three from your list. You say, "Well, automation." There's that word. Another A, Robert. A automation. While well, automation has always been a focus for finance and risk teams to reduce errors and time spent on repetitive transactions, the advent of new technologies based on real-time access to information. Automation and AI, artificial intelligence, will allow finance to provide more value in advising their counterparts across lines of business. And that's our topic, value creation. Birgit, we've got about nine minutes left. So take your three minutes to unpack and then I'll divide it up between
2: your two co-panelists and we'll wrap up. Go ahead, Birgit. Sounds perfect. I think automation and AI is at the top of everybody's mind these days. And when it comes to AI, there's so many different kinds. It's not just one technology that we say, oh, this is AI. It's machine learning. It's robotic process automation. It's predictive. It's um, even... Older technologies, workflows having a resurgence, optical character recognition, all of these different things are out there. And so in terms of any one process, we're going to find many different technologies. But one of my favorite examples when it comes to this though, is we want finance to be more strategic. And my favorite example is an M&; uh, mergers and acquisitions example because for example, if I have the opportunity to either acquire or partner with the company, I might have 20 options out there. And in the old world, finance would say, well, I don't have time to evaluate all 20 options. Maybe I only have time to evaluate eight options. So they've done a pre-selection of those 20 down to eight. Well, what if one of the optimal results should have been one of those 12 that weren't even analyzed because they just didn't have the bandwidth to do it. But now with automation and with AI technologies, we can actually evaluate all 20. And we can really see, going back to the abstract of the entire show, what are the financial implications of making certain strategic decisions? Should I purchase competitor A? Should I purchase competitor B? Maybe I don't need to purchase anybody. Maybe I can partner with someone. Maybe I don't do any of that. Maybe I actually uh, have done a cost benefit analysis, and maybe I provide a service or build a product myself. So there are all of these different options. And with that, I would say that it's really important to not forget about the human element because while financially the system can say with prediction, well, I think that this might be the best financial outcome you know, based on the value drivers that you consider most important. But what if that's a company that you don't want to partner with because your company cultures are just going to clash? So, that's something where the machine shouldn't be allowed to just make a decision. It's not like saying, I'm going to clear this open item because it's really only a matter of pennies versus something very strategic like that. And The other piece here is we can also incorporate non-financial information. Because if I want to see, well, what if I want to create a new product? I need product information, I need geographic information, I need customer information, how much am I going to cannibalize myself, I need all of these logistical pieces of information to also be part of that equation, not just a general ledger account, not just a profit center, not just the cost center, but all of these other logistical aspects that are going to really be my value drivers for profitability. Thank you, Birgit.
1: Very interesting. Rob Campanile at Accenture. Go for it. Agree or disagree. Let's see what you do with this one. Wholeheartedly. <laughs>
3: um, yeah, <laughs> agree, agree wholeheartedly again. And I, I love the points on value. Um, one dimension about automation is the overkill as well. And this is something I've seen with a lot of the work I do. You, can, you almost want to treat automation like a portfolio and how much value it's actually extracting because Needless to say, automation still requires security, maintenance, and and a lot of, um, you know, OPEX time. So I always view kind of what selectively is automated, both from a simple maturity of RPA to AI as almost like an investment portfolio. And what's the value? And um, too often than not, I've seen some companies overextend and just automate every simple use case. And then we have the human development, you can actually create more work than you're trying to take away. So there's this very kind of special sauce of looking at not only the automation use cases and the value, but is it really assisting the workforce and enabling um, not only the removal of work, but the creation of value? And I think that was the only point I would add um, uh, You know, to the last discussion.
1: Thank you. Robert Kugel, thoughts?
4: A couple of years ago, I wrote a research note that was entitled, Make Accounting Cool Again. I, I said again because everyone really make accounting cool. Who cares? But they, what do you mean again? Um, and my point was that actually, when you start to look at at, at the under look into accounting, it, it actually is really quite a complicated, I, I should say, an, an elegant kind of a of a, of a system. So um, one of the reasons why I think accounting gets a bad rap is that a lot of what accountants have to do mm-hmm. is incredibly boring and soul-deadening. And, and and soul-sucking and you know if you just got rid of those bits maybe people would have a better time doing that kind of work which is exacting but it doesn't have to be you know just the same old same old uh, there was also a, a Monty Python skit uh, back in the old days is one of my favorite ones with vocational guidance counselor um, where uh, the, the, the character who's the accountant says, I wasn't always this way. Chartered accountancy does this to people, which I think explain, you know, as part of the change management thing is if you're doing all of this little stuff and not looking at the bigger picture, that kind of gets to be a habit. So to the extent that we can use automation uh, to you know take the robotic work out of the organization and allow people to really be able to think and use their analytical capabilities and have time to serve the rest of the organization that's the point of automation not automation for automation's sake um,
1: thank you robert. i have to i have to interject here there's a quote somebody used on another one of my shows from uh, jessica rabbit and she says i was drawn this way i just yes. wanted to go, go ahead finish your thought robert <laughs> go so ahead. It, and
4: and then that you know kind of gets into this uh, the 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 whole notion of what is the mission of the finance organization are they the money people Uh, if you're an fpna are we the budget masters we're the ones who are orchestrating this or does the role of fpna for example become one of a facilitator of business planning and budgeting make budgeting easier for the budget owner you know that's one of the things that you can do with today's technologies and you know why you should stop using spreadsheets for it Start using dedicated software, which enables the FPA organization to be much more of a service provider to the to, to the business owners, to give them feedback, to set you know their 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 targets, and then show them in in very productive ways how they're performing to those KPIs and and, and targets and objectives. So that's just an example where you know we can take all of this technology, grab all of this data use a bunch of automation, in fact, using things like uh, process mining, you know, to be able to discover how mm-hmm. to better organize the work, uh, how to better use AI, because we have a, a, a better idea of, of how the process actually works and where we can get you know, real improvements. The, the, there's, like I said, a cluster of technologies that are finally coming mm-hmm. to bear that will make this a very important decade for you.
1: Thank you very much, Robert. I appreciate that. We have just about two and a half minutes left. I'm going to give you each thirty seconds for a prediction. Will we still be talking about value chain and the Office of Finance and FPNA? In 2025, this is January, we're January 25th, 2022. So three years ahead, if we met again, I certainly hope Birgit, I'm expecting you to renew for series season 12, 13, 14, I'll see you there. But in the meantime, we'll keep doing this. What would we be saying about value chain? Birgit, you're up first
2: quickly. uh, I'll give you 30 seconds. Go ahead, go. I'd like to think that value chain is gonna be top of mind. So it was very gratifying to me in that survey that, that, um, that I was a part of to find people writing in the terms value chain. I like to say that uh, part of my my job description is to make finance interesting and really making it um, a cool thing to do. And I think it's also a lot of um, personal gratification because it's really a way to advance your skills to the next level, to really get those analytical skills. So I'd like to say it's not just an outlier, but that we're really gonna be talking about finance as an integral part of the value chain um, in three years and beyond. Thank you, 20 seconds, Rob, Jay, Campanile, go ahead.
3: Um, I really think there's gonna be new positions and new cross disciplines developed by that time. And you're already starting to see it where what we call finance and analytics and planning now is gonna be referred to as something different. And it's not only the human aspect, but it's the enabling technology. And I don't have a brand to put against it right now, but I also think there'll be a virtualization of a lot of this work as well.
1: So really looking forward to that time frame. Robert Kugel, 20 seconds, go, beat, beat.
4: I'll be the Debbie Downer in all of this. We will have made some progress. There'll still be an immense amount of work to be done. People aren't going to change that quickly.
1: Thank you very much. Reality Check is always appreciated. I want to thank all of you and Birgit Starmans and Press Chatterjee at SAP. Thank you for renewing and our friend, Chris Grundy. I think he's still there in the background working on some of the things we need to keep this series going. We appreciate all of you. Thank you to Birgit. Thank you to Rob Campanile. So pleased to meet you, Rob. Birgit, invite him back anytime. Robert Kugel, always, always, always. I want to do a shout out to Aaron Keller, who is now not just my engineer for audio and Voice America business, but he is now the client. coordinator at Voice America. What do you think of that? That's a nice, nice new promotion for Aaron. So here's my call to action. Everybody get ready. Fasten your seatbelt. Let me see you all fasten your seatbelt. Come on, pretend you're fastening your seatbelt. There you go. Nobody's fastening it, but I know you are. Go out and be a game changer today, just like Birgit Starman's at SAP, just like Rob Campanile at Accenture, just like Robert Kugel at Vintana Research. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Everybody wave goodbye to LinkedIn. Wave goodbye metaphorically to Voice America business. Stick around. We're going to take pictures
0: thanks again for tuning in to financial excellence with game changers presented by sap helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously to keep the conversation going tweet your questions and comments to hashtag sap and join host bonnie d graham on the business channel wishing you a game-changing week